All right, run it. This is Kelly Doll with Mama Mystery. And Austin Evans. Her fiance. And soon Kelly's going to be Kelly Evans. Oh my God. What is the official countdown? Like 20-ish days. Less than 400 days to go, folks. Well, duh. Well, duh. It's like 24 days, 25 days. I don't know. This is a question for Lexi, because Lexi's got all the countdowns. Anyways, we out here. So welcome back. I'm so glad you are here listening to the podcast, Mama Mystery, where we discuss all things true crime. Last time, I had Austin with me while we discussed... The monster that is Casey Anthony. And today we're going to discuss the monster that is Jody Arias. Austin, do you know anything about Jody Arias? I haven't heard anything about her, but my first question is Is she hot? Austin, uh. <laughs> well, oh, geez, Louise. I had a friend that thought that Casey Anthony was hot, so show me a picture of her. Well, here's the deal Jody Arias was not bad looking, which is part of the reason this See, is I such think a these big ones, case. I think if they're good looking, it's way more crazy because it's just like, whoa. Yeah, you it's can less, just look at pictures of her. It's even crazier. I don't think she's that pretty. Like, she's not ugly, yeah, but she's man. not gorgeous either. I think she's she's got a really extreme like like she's like here she is in glasses looking kind of homely for the case and then there she is looking decent letting her hair down and then if you dig a little deeper you'll find completely naked pictures that we'll talk about later how can we find those stop <laughs> you're so gross that's see but but it, when they're like this it is kind Which of it's one? just when they're just when they're there like oh yeah when, they uh, make her look really angelic and like a little school teacher librarian yeah. for trial because they don't want to paint her as this murderous i bet villain. my friend that thinks casey anthony's hot would think she's hot i'm gonna have to ask him you know what he probably does what a trash ball. What a trash ball. If you're you listening, know you, you know are, who you are. You're listening. You know who you are. <laughs> well, tell me about Jody. <clears throat> okay, so Jody Arias was accused of killing her boyfriend, Travis Alexander. And this all happened back in 2008. But the court proceedings, the trial, all of that didn't finish until 2014. So this lasted a long time. So was she wandering the streets for that time or in a holding cell? She or was, was in jail. Okay. Yeah, and I will get into all of the details. I have it all written out. You know me. You know how I do this. Um, so I will just, you know, just go ahead and get started. Are you ready? Take me back to 2007. Okay. It's June, actually, of 2008. Take me back to 2008. See, this is the problem. Right now we're watching Monday Night Football. No, you I said 2000, I, 2008 was when it happened, so I figured. Seven. Yeah, because I figured the crime happened before it went to court. Okay, we're going to really test Austin's listening skills because I don't have a whole lot of I got of Monday Night Football on in, on mute in the background. Saints which are means, up 10-0. We're fine. Which means we're going to get a lot of responses like this. Oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> come, no <laughs> life's way. crazy. Life's crazy. <laughs> Life is crazy. All right, come on. Let's Whatever. hear about it. So it's 2008, June of 08. Okay. Tell me so about Jody. Let's get started. Yes. It's June of 2008, and Mimi Hall was supposed to go on an incredible all-expenses trip to Cancun, Mexico. They were just friends, but Travis wanted it to be more. They were supposed to leave for this trip within 24 hours when Mimi couldn't get a hold of Travis. He wasn't answering his phone, which was really unusual. So she goes to his house, but he doesn't answer. So she calls a mutual friend, and this person and her boyfriend come over to help Mimi investigate. As they are searching around the house, they're knocking and knocking. Still, nobody answers. So they get in touch with someone who has the code to his garage. They go in, and as they enter the house, they begin to notice an odor. They make their way upstairs until they reach his bedroom door, and it's locked. So they go to his roommate's bedroom, and his roommate, Zach, answers. He was there the whole time. Didn't hear them banging on the door. Apparently, he was just watching a movie and didn't hear them. They ask him if he has seen or heard from Travis, and Zach says he hasn't seen Travis in almost a week. Zach goes back into his room, finds a spare key to Travis's room. They open the door to find complete horror. Blood everywhere on the floors smeared on the walls on the blinds on the ceiling see zach's already a suspect because he didn't didn't hear from him for a week for a week for a week he's already a suspect right am i right the place stinks 
I still am wondering where Jody is. See, you do this. You hop right in, babe, and I don't know. Yeah, that's why you got to listen. I'm listening. What did that's you why you got to listen. What did you do in school when teachers, like, read books to the entire class? Did I failed just, in like... school. No, I failed in school, so that's a horrible example. Keep going, babe. Well, I'm trying to tell you a story. I'm listening. Okay. Zach's a suspect already. You think Zach's a suspect. Okay. If you are at this point in the podcast right now and you think Zach is a suspect. Well, no, I would think Jody Arias is a hold suspect on. because it's titled But if Jody you Arias, think that Zach would be a suspect right now, then send Kelly a text and tell her that you're suspicious about Zach. Oh, and if you're not, geez. then say no. Go ahead. Okay, whatever. So these friends peer into his bathroom where there's a giant pool of blood. And then the... So Mimi called her girlfriend and the boyfriend came with, right? So the boyfriend is the one doing the investigating. He looks into the shower and finds Travis laying dead on the floor of the shower. So they immediately call 911 and Detective Flores and Maricopa Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Juan Martinez arrive at the home to investigate. They notice that there is blood everywhere and they realize based on Travis's appearance that he's been there for a while because he had already begun to mummify, making it difficult to see any injuries right away. What happens when somebody mummifies? Ooh, here's the deal. Um, you can actually Google pictures of this person. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, no, I mean... I don't want to do that, but just tell me what happens when somebody mummifies. They they turn awful colors. They swell. They, I mean, the pictures of him, he is unrecognizable. It's hard to even place a picture of what he looks like when they found him beside a picture of what he looked like when he was alive because it looks like two totally different people. You looked at the pics? Yeah, I've seen them. I'm a little a morbid girl. like that, though. Yeah, like you're a that dirty stuff, girl. That stuff doesn't bother me. Like death gore guts like that stuff just doesn't bother me so i did see the pictures and they are pretty atrocious it's bad but i mean i've seen some shit in my life so i it just doesn't bother me i guess what's that movie where he goes i promise you i have seen some shit and he says (laughs) it real intense i don't know is it anger management the guy that goes, you gotta dunk that shit. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, it's in that movie. He goes, I have seen. Anyways. Okay. Kay. Yeah, that's cool. funny. Anyway. So detectives note the blood on the sink, on the mirrors, on the wall, including a bloody palm print on the wall. Authorities scour the scene for evidence and find a 25 caliber casing. Authorities immediately turn to his roommate. Zach. Yep. This bug, I, I, I don't know if people can hear it when they're listening, but we're sitting outside, and it's like they it's just nature. decided to come out. It's nature. It's okay. Nature. So neat. So authorities immediately turned to his roommate. How could you be in a house with a dead body for a week, noticing the smell and not realize something is amiss? They respond that they're just bachelors, and he brushed it off as dirty dishes or just something needing to be clean but Austin you've lived with guys are you guys really that disgusting we're not that disgusting that's why in the beginning of this you make fun of me but Zach was the first suspect for sure and actually that is quite common Uh, in the beginning a lot of people did point the finger at Zach and he had another roommate Enrique they they pointed fingers at him because um, at this point and, and I'll reach this later but he and Jody had been broken up for a year and so according to the friends they were broken up for a year so yes some friends you know, pointed the fingers at Zach, but some of the friends still pointed and the finger at Jody. Was this like an apartment and like he's the apartment next door? Is this like the roommates in the same place? No, this is like the, a house. See, they were sharing a see house. Zach's for sure involved because you're talking about somebody who lives in the house and you haven't seen him a week and it stinks. Give me a break. I don't know. I mean, you lived with Tyson. If like we're both you hadn't clean seen people. Tyson in a while. Yeah, if I hadn't seen Tyson in a week or heard from him, and, it, yeah. and something started to stink. I mean, yeah, you would think you would like at least You'd wake call up him. and do something. This guy knows about I don't care what ends up happening to Zach in the end, that guy's a suspect. Well, and here's the other thing though. Travis, for his job, traveled a lot. So it probably wasn't unusual for Zach to just think, Oh, Travis is probably gone on oh, he's probably a dead. business just, trip yeah. and he locked his door because of privacy. And he has a raccoon dead in there. That's be normal. Okay. Well anyway. Okay. Then, while police are inside scouring the apartment, they find a camera in the washing machine. The camera belonged to Travis. They tried to turn it on, but it was destroyed in the washer. Like a disposable camera? No, like a digital camera. Digital camera, okay. So whoever threw it in the washer wanted it to be destroyed. What an idiot place to destroy it. What an idiot place to destroy it. And the fucking memory card was still in there. And intact. 
So they take the memory card into evidence to see if they can extract any photos that might give them so some sort of explanation because their first theory is that someone probably put this camera in the washer to destroy it. But the question is, who? Oh my gosh, did I just sound so spooky when I said that? Probably <laughs> not. Okay. Go ahead. So. You got me intrigued. I want to keep going. Do we? Okay, good, good, good. So let's back it up a little bit to Travis Alexander's upbringing and how he met Jody. Travis Alexander had a really rough upbringing. He grew up poor in Southern California. His parents were drug addicts and his mom was incredibly neglectful. She'd leave on binges and leave the kids at home without food. He was beaten by his parents until finally at 10 years old, Travis and his siblings were rescued and sent to live with their grandmother. His grandmother was Mormon and included them in the Mormon teachings. And Travis took it very seriously and ended up going on a Mormon mission where you dedicate seven days a week for two years to spread the teaching teachings of Mormon. Mormonism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After he finishes his mission, he begins working with PPL, prepaid legal services. It's essentially an MLM company and it was very popular with Mormons because they were familiar with the dynamic of the company. He joins and quickly becomes a rising star within the company. He becomes a mo motivational speaker, inspiring people, and eventually makes a very loyal group of friends. So then in 2004, Travis moves to Mesa, Arizona, where he continues to thrive. Mesa has one of the largest Mormon communities outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. But while here, he really struggled with balancing the life of being an eligible bachelor with a successful career, with abiding by the Mormon law of chastity. According to Mormonism, you are supposed to remain a virgin until marriage. But Travis was charming, outgoing, and loved to date. In 2006, Jody went to a PPL convention in Vegas where she met Travis. And shortly after meeting, they started dating. They dated for about six months. Initially, Travis's friends were very impressed with Jody and felt like she might be the one for Travis, but as time went on, her true colors began to show and they began to realize there was something about Jody that was just a little off. How old are these people? Dang it, I don't know. In their 20s. Google it real quick. You Google it. Okay. Here. So. Dang it. <laughs> I knew you'd ask me something that I didn't have the answer to. Why don't That's I know their ages? I, it doesn't matter. I just like being able to... I mean, I saw your picture of her, but I like being able to see how old they yeah, are. Yeah, I'm guessing like 20s. Shit, she's 40 now. Okay, this was 12 years ago. She, she was 28. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, pretty young. Okay. So first of all, Travis... And, and Travis is three years older. Okay, so he would have been so like... So 28 and 31. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So first of all, Travis was Mormon and Jody was not. But within only two months of dating, she decides to become a Mormon, and Travis is her sponsor. Things between the two of them continued getting hot and heavy, and they eventually broke the law of chastity, which may have ignited the downfall of their relationship. Their relationship seemed to be purely physical, which went against his Mormon faith, and he eventually broke up with her in June of 2007. But Jody wouldn't go away. She actually moved to be closer to him, and he continued to lead her on for a long time by still having her over for little late-night rendezvous, but never truly committing back to her. So this was really kind of like a on-and-off type thing where they wouldn't commit to each other, but they wouldn't fully like remove each other from their lives. Friends with benefits. Sure. Yeah, basically that. But Travis was very honest with her that he was still seeing other women and didn't want to be with her. So Jody finally seems to take the hint and moves to Northern California, and Travis tries to focus on strengthening his faith in the Mormon Church. Uh, 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 well, he's hit it and quit it. Anyways, go ahead. Apparently, I, I've, I don't, I don't know. I've, it's <laughs> after this. He tries to date other women, and it's reported that these women like noticed that he really wanted to be physical with them. But a lot of these women were Mormon, and they were really uncomfortable with that. So, yeah. Jeez. Friends are relieved to hear that she's finally gone because none of them trusted her. They began to see a crazy side of her that they really didn't like. So when Travis is found dead just one year later, many of his friends immediately pointed the finger at Jody Arias. And you can even hear them on the some of the 911 calls when they're talking to detectives. I guess it wouldn't be 911 calls. It's just when they're talking to detectives shortly after Travis is found, they start pointing the finger at Jody Arias. 
<laughs> Jody, however, is calling the authorities herself, trying to offer her assistance. She's basically like volunteering herself to the whole investigation. Which I got nothing to do with this. Take number. I got one. nothing to do with this, but I definitely want to help you figure out who it is. Yeah, basically. But these phone calls are a bit odd. She's asking questions about what happened, and at one point in an initial phone call, Detective Flores asks, "Did he have any weapons in the home?" And she responds, "His two fists." What? <laughs> His two fists. Like, oh my gosh. Seriously, you just found out that your ex-boyfriend was found dead and you're calling authorities to let them know he was abusive? Like, that oh, right there what? puts up so many flags. Yeah. I'm sure their ears were just like burning. So, let's see. It's odd enough that she's calling to get gruesome details about what happened and what weapons were used, if it was a gun or a knife. But then to make a comment like that, implying that Travis was an abusive person, it's just really suspicious. So detectives start pressing Jody about her whereabouts during the time of Travis's death. Jody tells detectives that she had plans to go to a PPL convention in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that she was also planning on meeting a new love interest, Ryan Burns. Jody admits that her and Travis are on and off. However, she told detectives that she told Travis she was going to Arizona because she didn't want to make Travis jealous. According to Jody, she left Northern California on June 2nd, then goes to Southern California to visit friends, and finally arrived in Salt Lake City, Utah on June 5th, which would have been the day after Travis was killed. So Ryan Burns corroborates this story and says Jody arrived on June 5th around 11 a.m. and that she seemed happy and fine, but that her hair was a different color. He was used to seeing her with blonde hair, but now she has brown hair. And she also has some cuts on her fingers that she claims she got from bartending. So detectives are trying to piece together her story and find ways to place her in Mesa, Arizona at the time of Travis's death, but witnesses claim they saw her in Salt Lake City and Southern California and nothing places her in Mesa until authorities are notified that the forensics labs have results from the memory card found in the camera in the washing machine. On July 15th, Detective Flores brings Jody in for questioning. Flores doesn't waste any time in letting her know that he knows exactly when Travis died and that he believes she has some answers. So first, he starts picking apart her road trip alibi. Jody says she drove all the way from Northern California to Southern California and that she took Route 15 but got lost, stopped, and slept in her car for 10 or so hours before getting back on the road to Utah. 10 hours of sleeping in the car. Yeah. And she's lost. She's yep. not trying to find her way back. She's just like, eh. Yeah, you know I'm what? I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to take a nap and then I'll w- wake up with a clear mind. And I'll just know where to go. Suspicious. Yeah. So if you're looking at a map, the trip from from Northern California down to Southern California, over to Mesa and up to Utah forms a big U. So first of all, going to... As in you are guilty. (laughs) So first of all, going to Southern California when you're on your way to Utah is way out of the way. But Jody also says her total driving time took about 48 hours. But Detective Flores points out that even if she slept in her car for a while and got lost before finally making it to Utah, there are still 18 hours unaccounted for. And those 18 hours happen to fall right within the time frame that he knows Travis was killed. She immediately starts denying that she was at his house. So he informs her that her blood was at the scene. Her hair was at the scene. Was it really, or did he start making this up? No, it's hers. Her palm print was at the scene. The bloody palm print on the wall was hers. How do they tie that stuff to somebody? You watch these shows. Like, do they already have... No, but but do they already have... Like, like, to find blood and match it to somebody, Mm -hmm. or prints, or hair, wouldn't you have to have that person's information in a system somewhere already? Yes, unless she already volunteered herself to come in and and give fingerprints and DNA. That's one of the first things that they do when they bring you oh, in for questioning. Whether I forget they, that. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It's one of the first things. So they that's do. how they have their information, and then they just match it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a bonehead! You bonehead, Jody. What a bonehead. Cheese dick. 
Oh my god. I'm sorry, just calling her names. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> So she immediately tries to explain it all away. She says, well, her hair would be there because she was there all the time. So her hair would, of course, be at his house. But then he drops a bombshell, the pictures on the memory card. He tells Jody, we have pictures of you on this camera. Do we need to show you these pictures? And she says, well, I mean, I am curious. Oh, my gosh. So the pictures are of Travis naked in the shower. She laughs it off saying Travis would never go for that. The pictures continue and are all time stamped around 5.30 p.m. on June 4th. Then even more telling are pictures of a naked Jody sprawled out on his bed. What? Even with this evidence, she tries to argue that she was not there. She says pictures can be altered and modified and that timestamps aren't accurate. So he comes back with the smoking gun, a picture of what appears to be Jody's foot right next to Travis, bloody on the ground. So Travis is on the ground with blood like pouring off of his shoulder and Jody's foot is right next to him. Let me see if I can find this picture. I should have had it pulled up already. So the detective has had enough. He says that he knows she did this, but she still doesn't budge. So He's left with no other option but to arrest her. I'm still going to try to find this picture so I can show it to you. you got to put so... this picture in the comments of the when you post it so people can look at it. Yeah, I will. It's really eerie um, because it's it, – so I guess it's a mechanism within the camera. And um, when she dropped it, it automatically took like a burst of pictures. And one of the pictures happened to be her foot. Uh, right next to Travis and Travis is laying on the ground you can tell that there's blood like coming from his chest but it's like dripping all and down his shoulder and she just left this big mess she didn't even try to hide him yeah here it is let's see what an idiot like it's upside down but yeah there you go so let's see it so you can see that's his shoulder and that's her foot with her pants there you go so he decides to arrest her for Travis Alexander's murder, and her behavior after being read her rights is beyond bizarre. The first thing she says is, this is a really trivial question, and it's going to reveal how shallow I am, but before they book me, can I clean myself up a little bit? And he <laughs> says, you'll be taken as you are, and leaves the room. She's left in the room alone, and out of nowhere, she drops to the floor and does a headstand against the wall, like props herself up against you, you the wall. Told, okay, I've heard you when talking about cases, talking about this lunatic that was doing headstands in the wall. Yes, this in, is Or her. in the room. Yeah. Hey, I got to say about the photo, I don't see it at all, so I'm curious if anybody else will see it. Oh, maybe it's kind like, of too But I'm looking in. at different ones. I don't see it at all. But crazy. Um, yeah, you've told me about how there's some lunatic. This is her. Yes, this is her. So she does the headstand, then she sits back down in her chair, she moves the chair like right up against the wall so her head is against the wall and she's just kind of hugging the chair and starts singing Oh Holy Night. What in the yeah. world? And then she starts Does she talking. have any previous like mental, like no. anything? No. No her record? Her parents say that she had a completely normal childhood and that she And she's not imagining exaggerates- anything? She exaggerates this fallacy that she had, like, this rough upbringing and that her parents beat her. But, like, nobody can corroborate those stories. Her parents are like, she has a lying problem. She's just similar to Casey Anthony, where these people are legit sociopaths. People that do this are sociopaths. There's no other way to explain it other than that they lack human empathy. So Hmm. that's as simple as I can make it. But as she's sitting there, she then starts talking to herself, and it sounds like she's talking to Travis, and she says, still hate me, and then there's a pause, and she says, brat, like she's like toying. That is so weird, like Travis. talking to herself. Yes, but like she's talking to Travis. It's yeah. so bizarre, so what bizarre. weirdo. So then she's taken to get booked, and the people working at the jail are floored when she fixes her hair and then literally poses with her head tilted for her booking photo. <laughs> So the day after she's been booked, detectives try a different tactic. They bring in a female detective to see if she can relate to Jody and get her to crack, but Jody totally shuts down. She's not interacting. The detective keeps questioning her and offers up explanations, but to no avail. Then Jody says she'd rather talk to Detective Flores. She just doesn't open up right away, but eventually she finally starts to talk. Shocker that she would be more comfortable talking to a man than she would a woman, because this woman just has some very serious issues with 
narcissism and manipulation and just getting what she wants. So finally, she admits that she arrived at Travis's around 3 a.m. on the morning of June 4th. They went to sleep and then woke up in the afternoon to have sex. Then, according to Jody, Travis was taking a shower and she was taking pictures of him when two people dressed in black barged into the room. Came in and killed us. Dawn, dawn, dawn. What a freaking moron. I have to read this with like my dramatic voice because this is how just asinine the story sounds. But this is what she tells detectives. Two people dressed in black barged into the room with guns. One male, one female. She said they attacked Travis and she feared she'd be next. She ran into the closet and the man put a gun to her head and said, you don't go anywhere. Then the man tells the woman to finish it, meaning kill Jody. The woman attacks Jody with a knife, but Jody holds on to her knife, wielding hand until finally the man stops her and says, that's not what we're here for. The man grabs her registration from her wallet and waves it in front of her saying, you must be that bitch from California. Then the man puts it down and says, if you ever, ever, ever say anything about this, I'll do to your family what we did to Travis. And they leave. So she runs out of the house, gets into her car, and drives as fast as she could to Utah. Back to the convention. It's a fucking laughable story. She actually says this to detectives and expects them to believe her. This is ridiculous. This whole story is ridiculous. And that's that's why she lied about it, the whole being there the whole time. Yeah. And fess up because she yeah. was scared to get killed. Exactly. By the men in black. Right. And that's why she told them that he had two fists as weapons. Yeah, it all just ties together and makes total sense. Well, how did this go on for, how long did it go oh, on for? Oh, it went on forever. Six years? For a long time. I don't understand this shit. Detective Flores says to Jody, this is the most far-fetched story I have ever heard, and I've done this for a long time. <laughs> he gives her an opportunity to tell the truth again, She declines, so off to jail she goes. So the prosecuting attorney on this case is Juan Martinez, and he is cased with the job of determining whether or not this was a premeditated murder. In his mind, it was due to the fact that this crime was so savage. Travis was was stabbed 27 times, shot in the head, and almost decapitated. So he makes the decision to try her for the death penalty. See, I don't understand that. Like, ugh. While awaiting trial, Jody makes the fateful, arrogant, and narcissistic decision to do television interviews. She is a defense attorney's worst nightmare because she can't stay away from the limelight. She can't keep her mouth shut. She does multiple interviews for various stations and comes across as this sweet, carefree girl who just doesn't belong in jail. Jody assigned... A court-appointed lawyer, Kurt Nermy, and he advises her to leave the media alone. He spends a ton of time preparing for this trial, canceling numerous vacations to work on her case, fielding daily phone calls from Jody, which is highly unusual. Most criminals don't call their lawyer- lawyers daily for updates on the case. Um, how do these people pay? Like, 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 how is she paying? He's a court-appointed. Oh, okay. So this, I guess, would be like a pro bono case then. Got it. She even called him and asked if he would go check up on her cat. Like, she has no other family. I'm sure she has no friends, but, like, nobody else. Maybe somebody just needs to go remove the cat. She's not going to be seeing the cat for a long time. So The cat's going to be dead. Oh, my God, Austin. Like Travis. Stop. Stop. I don't, let's not, don't bring innocent animals into this. That cat did nothing. By the time she's out. So after finding issues with her intruder story, Kurt Nermy says that Jody completely abandons the intruder story, and now she claims that she was there, but that she killed him in self-defense. Oh my gosh. Of course. Her story keeps changing. So in June of 2013, this would be, what, five years later, the trial finally begins. And this trial was huge. Tons of fandom surrounded this trial with people traveling from out of state to try and get a seat in the gallery. Juan do Mar- they do that? Like, just public can go? Yeah, like, a ton of people did it for the Casey Anthony trial. You can do it for any trial, really. I mean, hmm. I would think most. That's I don't know. I don't know of any that you really couldn't. I know sometimes trials aren't um, broadcast on television. So this one was, like, on CNN and national news and stuff? Yeah, Nancy Grace, all the big wigs. Hmm. 
So Juan Martinez begins the opening arguments and wastes no time in placing the blame for Travis's murder on Jody Arias and Jody Arias alone. He presents Travis as a decent, well-liked Mormon man and then pinpoints the motive for his murder as revenge. He points out that Jody received an email from Travis the week before his murder stating that he was going to Cancun and Jody knew she was not invited, so she knew he must be taking another girl, which caused her to snap. Now, the defense has a chance for rebuttal. They needed to convince the jury that there was more to this story. Jody's, Jody's defense paints a picture, one that juxtaposes the image of them on any social media or the image that Juan Martinez tried to paint. And begins to describe Jody as Travis's dirty little secret and starts to put the victim on trial. Her story was that while Travis was in the shower and Jody was taking pictures of Travis, she accidentally dropped his camera, which threw Tra Travis into a rage. In an attempt to protect herself, knowing how abusive Travis has been in the past, she ends up killing Travis. Juan then decides to bring Mimi on the stand. Remember Mimi, the one who was supposed to go on the Cancun trip? Mm -hmm. They begin asking her about her relationship with Travis, and she details the stories Travis shared about his, quote, female stalker. She recalls how Travis told her about how Jody showed up at his house late at night to slash his tires several times. She would sneak into his house through his doggy door and sleep on his couch without him knowing. She would also hack into his email and bank accounts. She was fucking psycho. Then prosecu the prosecution begins to pick her entire story apart with physical evidence. They point out all of Travis's injuries, and there are a ton. She lacks any defense wounds, while Travis has completely devastating injuries. Jody had argued that the shot that she shot Travis, but that it didn't knock him out, so she grabbed a knife to finish him off. However... 27 times. Yeah, 27 times. That'll do it. However, the medical examiner points out that the bullet hole in his skull indicates the path the bullet would have taken through Travis's brain and states that that type of injury would have been incapacitating. He would have been paralyzed immediately. Mm -hmm. Then the prosecution brings in an officer to the stand who had responded to a burglary call just one week prior to the killing of Travis. He responds to an elderly couple's home who reports that a CD player, DVD player, some cash, and a 25 caliber gun were missing from the home. As the officer is taking down their information, the couple's granddaughter walks in. And who do you think the granddaughter is? Jody freaking Arias. And remember how they found that shell casing? It was a 25 caliber shell casing. So by the end of the prosecution's arguments, Jody's character has all but been pretty much destroyed. And it was now the defense's turn to rebuild her character. So first they brought in Jody's ex-boyfriend of four years, Daryl Brewer. Now Daryl is about 20 years her senior and does a good job of painting Jody as a good person. He describes their relationship as a positive one, recalls how Jody was with his son. That is until Juan Martinez is up for cross-examination and asks him a question about her visit to his house in May of 2008, the week before Travis's murder. Juan points out that Jody asked Daryl for a couple gas cans which Juan pointed out was odd, considering that the trip to Utah would be littered with gas stations, in eliminating the need for gas cans. But Juan believes he knows the reason for needing these cans. Do you think you know why? Mm -mm. Jody borrowed these cans so she could get into the state of Arizona. Without, without having to fill out. up the gas. Yes, without having to stop for gas, which would, pay, which would um, be tracked through financial transactions right. and then on security cameras so this allowed her to just drive in and out um which would prove that this was a calculated and premeditated murder mm -hmm. but the circus that is this trial is not over jody begins to claim that travis was sexually abusive and describes the time he forced himself on her right after her mormon baptism while she's describing how travis sexually forced himself on her Travis's sister and whole family is in the audience, rolling their eyes, shaking their heads, 
it, this has to be so incredibly awkward and painful for them. Then they start bringing up texts between the two of them where Travis is saying things like, quote, you're going to rejoice in being my whore whose sole purpose in life is to be mine, to have animal sex with. And she acts like she's totally humiliated by all of these texts and that she never wanted to participate in these acts. I hope there's no kids in the car, folks. Oh, yeah. No, surely not. Surely no one listens with kids in their car to the Killing Podcast. <laughs> I, I mean, I would hope not. I, that's what I. That's why I usually if don't censor myself. If you have done myself. that, you're already, then it was your problem. Oh, my God. So she then describes the names he calls her, and they're basically chipping away at his character, proving that their relationship was toxic, emotionally abusive, and just completely unhealthy. But then the defense brings up a completely shocking story that Jody once walked in on Travis, masturbating to an image of a young boy. It's like they just cannot get enough. Like, they, they have to completely destroy his character, his reputation. It just goes to show you what lengths people will go to save their own face. Just like Casey Anthony throwing her own dad under the bus and painting him out to be this pedophile. It's no different. Like, people are crazy. It blows my mind. There is nothing worse you can do than accuse someone of being a pedophile. And, of course, there was no proof of this accusation. So I want to make it very clear. No child pornography was ever found on his computer. No other witnesses ever corroborated this story. So I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. And I hope nobody does because that's just horrible. But the defense is prepared to go toe-to-toe with Jody. And they bring out a highly anticipated audio recording. I think I meant to say the prosecuting attorney is prepared to go toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe with Jody. And they bring out a highly anticipated audio recording that was retrieved from Jody's lost cell phone. She claimed she lost this phone, but it was eventually found by a family member after Jody went to jail. And some of the recorded conversations were incredibly graphic. Members of both Jody's and Travis's families are in the gallery, and the judge explicitly states they are not allowed to have any type of reaction to this recording. During one of the phone calls, they're essentially having phone sex, and Travis is describing things that he wants to do to her, things that do sound abusive and a little like BDSM. Isn't that the right initials, BDSM? I don't know what it stands for, but bondage. something like that. It's... It's crazy Bondage stuff, destroying sex mechanisms. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Like yeah, yeah, I did. I know. I don't know. I have okay. no clue. Well, I'm not going to Google it right now. But right now. people probably already know where I'm going with this. But Jody is on the other end saying things like, that is so debasing. I like it. So she's like totally playing into these phone conversations. These And why she chose to record them. I have no idea. Why would she record these? She was the one that recorded these. Travis had no idea, I assume, at least. To listen to it later, maybe? I guess. But it totally did her in, and um, yeah, here she is on the phone, actively participating in this conversation, to the point where she even has an orgasm over the phone, and everyone in the courtroom had to listen to it. It was so voyeuristic, awkward. Can you imagine, like, the uncomfortable, oh God, it would be awful. And then having to just, like, stare at her on the stand, like, this is you. And then get back into the conversation. Right on. Let's keep talking. So, anyway, back to the stabbing. So, Jody ended up being on the stand for 18 days before the defense finally rests. After four months, the case is in the hands of 12 jurors. So, it is now in the hands of the jury to decide Jody's ultimate fate. The prosecuting prosecuting attorney wants them to find Jody guilty of first-degree murder while her defense urges them to find them guilt to find her guilty of a lesser charge of manslaughter because she's already admitted she has killed Travis but the sentences that these carry are very different how is that case even considered manslaughter manslaughter is an accident i thought yeah i thought so manslaughter, manslaughter was like oh shit like, i ran over somebody on self defense so she's claiming she killed him in self self defense which would warrant the manslaughter charge but so does the whole, you've attorney, told me on the Casey Anthony when the whole jury has to agree whether they're guilty or not guilty, uh, does the whole jury have to agree on what they're, she's going to get charged? Yeah, but here's the thing. A first degree murder charge, so in the case of Casey Anthony, the prosecuting, prosecuting attorney was going for the first degree murder charge, but that carries a ton of lesser charges with it. So the jury could have said, 
We don't believe she's guilty of first-degree murder, but we do think she's guilty of manslaughter or second-degree or something under that. But they didn't give that, that option. And they didn't. They didn't find her guilty of anything, which is another reason that that case is so mind-boggling. And I remember now I didn't get a chance to say that in that podcast. But that's another reason it's so mind-boggling because the jurors... While they maybe didn't agree she was guilty of first-degree murder, they could have come back and said she was guilty with something. Right. How do they just let her go all completely. believe she's not guilty of anything? So now this one, they're giving him an option. So surely nobody's going to say she's... They, she admitted she killed him. Yeah. So, so, so now that's not an option. So now it's... So now it's, are you guilty of manslaughter or first-degree murder? Got it. Okay. So they deliberated for days. Finally, after four whole days of deliberation, they reach a verdict. They find her guilty of What is deliberation? Where they all are in a deliberation room. They're like quarantined into this room or sequestered, whatever you want to say. Into this room and they all have <laughs> sequestered to say... Sequestered, de- deliberation. I have no idea what any of these words mean. Oh, you're so cute. What, what is this going on though? These jurors are locked into a room, just them, and they have to decide amongst themselves. Unanimously, they all have to agree on one verdict. Okay. So they're going over all the facts. I don't understand why the court system makes them all have to agree. I think it seems ridiculous. But oh, get ready, because this gets crazy. Okay, go ahead. So they find her guilty of first-degree murder. Um, let's see, where was I? There's this, a bug flying in my face. So they find her guilty of first-degree murder, and Jody's reaction is pure shock. She actually seemed to think that maybe she could manipulate the jury into finding compassion for her, but she even looks over at the jury with this expression like, really, how could you do this to me? Like this pitiful look on her face. Meanwhile, a celebration ensues outside. And then minutes after being found guilty, minutes, Jody wastes no time in giving a television interview for a local TV station. Why do you see, and that's the stupid thing about media. Why do they even allow that? Like, Free speech, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but like, why? What's the point? Just put her, lock her up. Don't give her two well, more minutes of fame. Right. So, but it was just so captivating, and it's sensational. So it's like sensational. Yeah, they want ratings. Exactly. It's, it's stupid, it has nothing though. to do with like wanting honor for Travis, justice for no, Travis. No, but it's stupid. They're wanting to interview uh, Jody because it equates to ratings. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sick. It is. Yeah, it shouldn't even be a thing. So before she's even sentenced, she tells the TV station, I want death. Death would be the ultimate freedom. Then don't give her that. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Travis's family wanted death for her. The prosecuting attorney wanted the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So now they have to decide, that same jury has to decide if she's going to have life in prison or the death sentence. Mm -hmm. So the family has an opportunity to read a written statement to the court, including Jody. The letters from Travis's family were heartbreaking. And after they finished, Jody then had an opportunity to speak as well. And while this is usually a chance for a defendant to claim their innocence or apologize to the family, Jody took it upon herself to pour even more salt into the wounds of Travis's family by not only not apologizing, she starts out with saying, it was never my intention to air our dirty laundry and I never even wanted to go to trial. Nowhere in there does she say she's sorry. And then she says, quote, additionally, I designed a T-shirt. And she pulls out a cheap white T-shirt with the word survivor written in purple cursive across the chest. And she says, I want to help victims of domestic violence and says 100% of the proceeds will go to victims of domestic violence. So then she starts pleading for her life, backtracking on what she originally said right after the verdict. She asks them not to sentence her to death. So the jurors are back to their deliberations. They have to decide if she gets life in prison or the death sentence. Believe it or not, eight jurors voted for death and only four voted for life in prison. But when the jury can't be unanimous, the judge has no choice but to declare a mistrial. Oh my gosh, does that mean we do it all again? This was shocking, and they had to do this all over again, but not, no, 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 not the entire thing, only the sentencing phase. So the dramatics and everything, that's all done. They've already found her guilty, so they luckily don't have to go through all of that again. However, a year and a half later, the penalty phase of the trial starts all over again with the same attorneys, but this time a different jury. 
So he has to convince, the prosecuting attorney has to convince the jurors that she deserves the death penalty, but this time the jury takes six days to deliberate before saying, once again, they're a hung jury. Mistrial again, but this time 11 people wanted the death penalty and one jury didn't, or one juror didn't. So that's it. The DA only gets two chances to try a defendant for death. So she automatically gets life in prison and the judge decides that she gets no chance of parole. So she literally like skated by, by the skin of her teeth, not getting the death penalty. One, one person. person. Which is just probably one person's belief that it shouldn't happen. Exactly. Which it was probably whatever people have, I don't know everybody's belief on that, but yeah. And you know, that is what it is. You know, the sad thing is that Travis's family had to go through this and it was just, they were drugged through the mud through this entire trial, having to lose a loved one who was like the pillar of strength in their family. You know, their parents were pieces of shit. So they really kind of leaned on Travis to be that pillar and then to have to go through all of this and the pictures of him that were displayed at trial. And then, Mistrial after mistrial, and now she just gets to rot in prison. So that's where, where she is, What prison is she at? Uh, I think it's somewhere in Mesa. Maybe you... I think it's in Mesa. The crime happened in Mesa, Arizona, so it's probably in Arizona. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's, that's that. And um, I'm sure there are many, many more interviews that she's done since she's been in prison because she just cannot stay away from the limelight. She actually entered herself into talent contests um, singing at her local jail. She even won a talent contest for her angelic rendition of Oh Holy Night. It's just what crazy. I guess so she's a sociopath. Total sociopath. That's wild. Yep. Criminals I... It's mind-blowing how stupid criminals are. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a guy the other day talk. He was FBI talking about white-collar crime. Yeah. And he was he, he chases white-collar crime. And he said, he said, honestly, I can't remember the percentage, something like 90% of the people would get away with it if they didn't get greedy and keep going and keep going. Mm-hmm. But they go too long and they're stupid. He said, he's, he ultimately, he said this, the criminals who get caught are always stupid. Because mm-hmm. there's a level of, intelligence to a criminal that does you know I don't know what I'm trying to say yeah but the ones that get caught are the idiots and it's like these ones that kill I mean not that there's a smart way to kill but gosh like could you be any stupider the way the way this chick did it all the lies the storytelling you lose all your credibility you she literally okay Zach what's the story on him where's he he at through all this but see I think that's really 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 very suspicious like you had to have known like i almost think that guy is i don't want to say guilty but slightly guilty by association in that he was a what's it called when you're a like an accomplice like an accomplice like you're yeah like you're a yeah maybe it's an accomplice like you're in on it and you just know of it like damn it now i'm an accomplice because i know about it why did you do this to me like how did no i mean you have to think like they're living in this house together and I know you are an exception because you're a clean guy, but a lot of guys are gross. I remember living in the dorms and like the female side of the dorms smelled a lot different than the guy side of the but dorm. It, it, I, there's just still too much suspicion. Like, I understand. I yeah. think anybody, I don't care you guy, male, female, if you live with somebody yeah. and they disappear off the face of the planet with for no a full warning. week. I'm not even talking about the smell or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about disappearing with no warning for a week. Yeah, you just have that's to it them. right there. Like, that's it. And how do you not hear people banging on the doors trying to get in and you're like, oh, I was just inside watching a movie? Yeah, all that's suspicious. So, like, that dude, I don't know. He's... I don't know. He's an accessory. Maybe that's what I was trying Maybe to say. Maybe that's what you were thinking. Like, he's some type of an accessory, in my opinion. I don't know. I know I that's know. bold. Like, maybe he wasn't home. I don't know. That's weird. I mean, the way that it was explained in all of the things I read and watched was that... You know, Travis traveled a lot, and so it was a guess that maybe, you know, Travis was traveling, and um, that explained his absence, and that he maybe left some dirty dishes or trash, just hadn't been taken out, and that that could account for the smell. However, that part I have a really, really hard time with, because if he was sitting in that shower 
for a week yeah. looking like he looked. Yeah. So, so see, he I had to read. Okay, I said a little bit ago, I don't even talk about the smell. But yeah, the smell is not just like dishes or like, no, it's not like is, that. It would be stinking up your whole body. And it would be going through the AC vents. Yeah. I mean, there's just too much that points I mean, at Zach said, having to know. They said they noticed it the second they walked in. Have the you house. looked him up? Like, where's he at? I don't know. I didn't look him up because nothing ever came of it. Yeah, like, they, it didn't matter. They, but. they um, you know, released him as, like, a person of interest. Like, they just, they didn't think anything was suspicious with that's that. That's so sketchy. You know, it is weird. I mean, because, like, you have to think a human body. That's pretty big. That's not just, like, a dead cat or a dead mouse. This is crazy. But one time I was sitting on a couch, and I started to get, like, a whiff of something that just smelled really bad. And I, like, couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So I thought, well, shoot, maybe it's me. So I went and took a shower, come back, and it's still around. I'm like searching all over. I'm like, is there dead food? Like, what is this smell? I lift up the couch, and there was a dead mouse under the See? couch. See, so that's like a dead mouse that is teeny tiny, let off that much smell. And you're yeah. telling me a human body that's been decomposing in a shower for days, going through air conditioning vents. Yes, and drainage. And you haven't heard from and a person. And you haven't heard from a person in a week. And you had this spare key the whole time. You didn't think to like maybe knock on the door and be like, "Hey, Travis, are you in there? Call Travis. Hey." That's what I'm saying. That's too days. suspicious. If really you weird. listened to this far and you think that's something suspicious, I want you to tell Kelly. And I'm going to have Kelly tell me because I'm intrigued. Yeah. If other people think it. Definitely weird. Anyways. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I do apologize if you can hear the cicadas in the background. I imagine that might be annoying. I guess we'll find out when I listen to this back. But um, if if it is annoying, then I promise next time we'll just do it inside. Bless Subscribe. Yes, subscribe, review, Rate. share, do all the Yeah, things. do a five-star review if you enjoy it. Yeah, if you like it. If you don't like it, don't listen don't anymore. Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, just, don't, just stay out of it. If you don't this. like it, you probably didn't make it this far. Yeah, but uh, but I think rating helps Kelly's podcast a lot, helps Mama Mystery climb the charts, get some eyeballs. So share it with a friend, rate it, and we'll see you later. Thank you so much. Stay safe, stay vigilant. And stay Sexy. alive. Okay. Right <laughs> Bye.